I wonder this morning if, if you've ever been in a struggle. Have you ever been in a struggle? And what I mean by that, I think all of us have been in a struggle at some point. There's a word, uh, this word contend. A con- to contend means to have an adversary or an opposing force. And you, that can be with a task. It can be with a problem. And even you can contend with people in interpersonal relationships. That, that's not uncommon. Struggle is not uncommon. In fact, I look back over some of, uh, some of the various struggles that I've had over, life, over my life. For one, when I, was thinking, I, was, I think I was 14, a buddy of mine and I went backpacking with his dad. He took us up to some high mountain lakes in southern Oregon. It was really great. And I'm pretty sure that it was probably only about a four or five mile hike one way. I think that was about what it was, but I'm absolutely confident it felt like 12 miles because we had World War II surplus backpacks that we were wearing that had about a one-inch shoulder strap, nothing like the backpacks, nothing like that. And not only that, we weren't carrying freeze-dried food. We were carrying canned foods. What were we thinking? What were, I don't, it was miserable. So I'm sure it was like 12 miles uphill both ways. You know, it was, that's kind of the way it felt. Now, it was a struggle. That's just a typical struggle. But then I think back to when I was, in gradu- I was in graduate school and I was taking a final exam. And I sat down to the final exam and I looked at the final exam and I went, I don't know anything on this test. I started, I started going this. <laughs> and before long, I was in a full-blown panic attack. Going, what am I going to do? And then I was able to calm myself. And that was a struggle, but I got through that. Well, then I, I think about the, I'm not a fixer up kind of dude. I've, I've told you that before. I'm a call you up and have somebody come and fix it for me. That's, kind, that's my life. And I'm telling you, it will stress me out. That's a struggle for me to do this. Sometimes you think, that is so simple, Gary. What is wrong? It's not for me. It is like, the, it's monumental and it's a struggle. It's a struggle, and then I, you know, I think about other projects or whatever I've been through that I can get overwhelmed with, and I'm struggling with them. But I want to tell you something. On every case, whether it was the hike into the mountains, whether it was calming myself at that moment of a taking a test, whether it is when I do attempt to fix something and it actually works, or if I get through a project where I'm overwhelmed and I get done with it, there's something that happens. There's a sense of relief. There's joy. There's something at the end of it I'm going, it was all worth it. It was worth it. And sometimes, just so you know, our struggles of faith and our struggles of life, they're not easy. But when we press through them, when we get all the way to the other end, there's a sense of exhilaration and satisfaction that we've completed this. We've gotten through it. So I would just... I would say in this series of messages, we're going to talk about the struggle. We're going to talk about a struggle that, that all of us face. And most of it is with faith. But it's going, to, it's going to address this. And so how are we going to do it? Well, we're going to call some, we're going to call out for some help. So here's how we're going to do it. Hey, Jude. Don't make it bad. Make a sad song. I'm oh, sorry. I just started going down that road. I didn't mean to. Not that Jude. We're going to do another Jude. It's one of the smallest books in the New Testament. 25 verses. 
Not only is it one of the smallest books, it is also one of the most neglected books in the New Testament. Strangely enough, people don't spend a lot of time talking about the book of Jude. And it is a fascinating study. It's very similar in many ways to 2 Peter. Uh, There is some great similarities between the two, and I think you'll see some of that in the weeks to come. Written in the first century, somewhere between 60 to 80. Not exactly sure when. There's not a lot of information about when it was written. However, the key verse to the entire 25 verses is verse number 3. So look at it with me. Dear friends, although I was eager, very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. What I love about this is that Jude does something. He, he uses the word dear friends. In fact, during the course of this 25 verses, he'll use that phrase three times. So there's a real sense of affection for the people he's writing to. This is not something just very much on the outside. He loves the people he's writing to. He calls them dear friends. But you'll notice, he, but there's, there's a message that will change once we get beyond verse number three. He, he would address the challenges that are being levied against the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The, the church is being challenged. Doctrine is being challenged. And he is saying, I've got to contend with that. He wanted to write about other things. He makes it very clear. I, I wanted to write about some really good things. I wanted to encourage you. But he said, I felt compelled that I had to do this. So he's very much taking the role of a pastor and showing and expressing his concern for those to whom he is writing. And what I, what I love about this is that we will see that the struggle, there's a struggle of faith going on and he addresses it. So I would just leave this thought with you. The struggle of faith is real, but it's worth it. It's worth it. We're all going to struggle in faith. You're going to be challenged in what you believe. You're going to be challenged in just... Showing, what are you doing on a time change Sunday going to church? I mean, what in the world are you doing? Some folks just don't understand what it is that we do. They don't understand why we dedicate ourselves to the things that we do. That just by itself is a struggle to try and figure out how do I answer appropriately? How do I, how do I help someone else understand this, this incredible faith that I've embraced? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that over the next few weeks. So pray with me if you would. Jesus, thank you for our time together. I pray that you'll open up our hearts to your word, speak life to us from these incredible verses of Scripture in Jesus' name. Amen. Just two verses today, verses 1 and 2. So if you look at them with me, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. As I prepared for this weekend, there was something that just struck me about Jude's words. And really, it was more about what I sensed in his heart. I noticed that through the portion, through the verses, all 25 verses, those words, dear friends, so there's an affection there. But before he gets into some of the more difficult or challenging moments that he's going to address, he starts off with this beautiful greeting. Now, it's not uncustomary in the New Testament letters to have this kind of a greeting where the, you, know, you, you say these kinds of words, you address them to a person, you identify who it is. That's not the uncommon part. 
But there's something that struck me. It feels as if he hasn't, there's an attitude that he is wanting to communicate before he says anything. John Maxwell, a number of years ago, uh, he's, a, he's a leadership guy. He wrote a book entitled, Your Attitude, Key to Success. I'm really a firm believer that our attitude sets us up for success in everything that we do. And I believe that Jude wants his readers to understand how important what he's going to share is. He says, in verse number three, he says, I was compelled to do this. But before he ever says how compelled and how important things are, and then he'll address the particular issues, he just puts his heart out there for people to see. I love that. I love that. He shows an attitude that really is very amazing. It's a right attitude. In fact, it's a lot, it's a lot like the attitude of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, Paul says it this way, your attitude, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So let me just stop for a moment. You notice the words here, you must have that attitude. You must. It's not really, it's really not optional for us. In any area or any endeavor of life, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Not just in the times that we serve the Lord and that we follow Jesus. In everything that I do and everything that we do, our attitude should be that of Jesus Christ. And I believe we see that in the life of Jude. It's no small thing to have the same attitude as Christ. It's something that's absolutely necessary. As we navigate the struggles of faith, and life. You know what happens when you have a right attitude? It enhances your credibility. Your credibility just takes leaps and bounds forward. People are going to listen to you when you have a right attitude. You know something? If you think, if you have, if I give off or we give off an attitude of I know it all, there's a lot of people that just go switch off. I'm not listening. I don't believe that it is coincidental that Jude does what he does because he knows he has to say some hard things. So his attitude is right. So it reinforces and enhances credibility. It also does something else. It provides comfort to the people who hear it. You know, if my attitude is right, I calm. Or rather, if my attitude or if the person who is speaking to me has a right attitude, I calm myself. But when someone comes at me with, you know, this, and I kind of I back off, I'm not going to be as, may not be as receptive. And then also, it tempers how we address complex issues. If I'm dealing with some hard things, and I take just a deep breath and I'm calm, and my attitude is like Jesus, I'm going to be able to deal with very difficult things in a godly Christ-like manner, and I believe that's exactly what Jude does. We're talking about three things this morning from these two verses. The first is this. So I'm just going to say it. Hey, Jude, help me with my attitude. Help me. Help me with my attitude. I need some help with that. And before we go any farther, I wonder if you would be so bold and to join me in just saying, I can every once in a while need a little bit of an attitude check, and today is okay for one of those. Would anybody join me in saying that? Yeah, we, we all do. We need a little tune-up. Need a tune-up. I do. So the first thing is this, an endearing, Jude shows an endearing humility. Endearing humility. You know, uh, I love the way that he begins this letter. You know, it's just, it's, a, it's beautiful language. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem like much, but there are really some things very significant here. Throughout the course of the 25 verses, I'm going to be referring to something often, as Jude does. He uses what's called triads. It's kind of a little bit of a theological term, but what it means is he's just used a series of threes. He'll, ex- he'll use names or events or certain things to explain something, to illustrate or to unpack a particular thought. Triads, and here are a couple of them in this first one, two different ways. He would do it this way. He says, G- Jude... James, Jesus. He would also say it this way. You'll you'll notice Jude, servant, and brother. These are triads. He wants to explain something. He's going to take this, he's going to help his hearers understand more fully what he wants to communicate. But this idea of endearing humility is illustrated very, very well in these verses. To be endearing is to evoke affection. That's what he's going to do. He's going to bring people into this conversation. He calls them, dear friends. And then he's just going to, and people are going to respond well to that. So Jude, Jude, or Judas would be the common name used most often in the New Testament, is he's the half-brother of Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever name-dropped. Name-dropping is something that we do. It establishes you know, perspective, but sometimes it, we, we say, we, we drop a name so we can impress somebody else. What I love is he doesn't do that. You notice what he says? He's a half-brother of Jesus, but he doesn't say, hey, by the way, I'm Jude, and my brother is Jesus. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm Jude. I'm the servant of Jesus Christ, and I'm the brother of James. Who's James. James is the leader of the the first century church. He's the leader of Jerusalem church. He is Jesus' half-brother. He wrote the letter called by his name, James. So we have brothers here, so he establishes credibility through his brother's name, but he takes a subservient or a servant's role when he speaks of Jesus. I want to tell you something. That is significant. He's not talking about being a sibling. He's talking about being a servant. Not only is he a servant, but... The Greek would say it this way, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. What a statement. What a statement. I want to say that endears me to him. It endears me to him. I, I, want, to, I want to be like him. I want to be a servant, a slave of Jesus. And what's really significant is in Mark chapter 6, we find out that James, Judas, And the other family members did not believe who Jesus said he was. In fact, they would say it this way. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. You see how far Jude has come? He's come from someone who was skeptical, someone who had nothing nothing to do with the belief of Jesus being the Son of God and the Messiah. Oh my goodness, I grew up with this guy. I know what he's, are you kidding me? They were offended at who he was saying or claiming he was, but Jude has made that step of faith and now is embracing Jesus not as a sibling, but he is a servant of. It's powerful. That's endearing to me. It's endearing to me. So what I would say, when I think about what Jude is, is, is going to be walking through, he talks about this faith that was once entrusted to the saints. There's once for all. What is that? That's the exclusivity of who Jesus is. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's what he's saying here. It's important. This, he's going to say some important things. Before he does, he just brings a sense of affection to those to whom he is speaking. So I wonder this morning, how might we 
become humble. How could we have an endearing humility? Because the reality of our lives is there are going to be struggles that you're going to have to not only face, but you're also going to have to confront. And I believe in order to do that, if we have an endearing humility, an attitude like Christ, we're going to be so much better fitted to be able to do that. So how do we do that? I think the first thing we have to do is confess sin. we got to get rid of the pride in our life. Pride's got to go. We must confess sin. We've got to be right in relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you something? Confessing our sin to Jesus is humbling. Because we don't want to be challenged in the way that we've always done things. But we have to surrender our rights to him. The second thing is that we need to be grateful. When we're grateful for what God has done in our life through Christ, that's also humbling. Say, thank you, Jesus. You know, when I say thank you to somebody, it really is a hum- it's humbling. But, but it, it, I want that to be genuine. You know what gratitude does? It stops pride from growing, and it stops know-it-all-ism in our life when we're grateful. So the third thing is that we just need to listen up. It's time for us, as his brother would say in the letter to the church, he would say, you must all. Be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak. Humility, humility just quiets themselves and listens. And the fourth thing is that we put others first. You really do put others in a position above yourself. Scripture talks about it often. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That is powerful. That's in the same passage where... Where Paul is saying, your attitude is to be like Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. If we can embrace these, we can have an endearing humility. John Stott, who was a wonderful uh, pastor and teacher, he wrote, he said, at every stage of our Christian development and in every shape of our Christian discipleship, pride, hear it, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. I want to have an endearing humility. Jude did. Jude did. The second thing that I see in these portions of Scripture is that Jude gives his readers an affirming reminder. An affirming reminder. Many of you may be familiar with uh, Dr. Gary Chapman's book, Five Love Languages. They're, they're really, it's really, really very good. And there are, the five love languages are gift giving, quality time, physical touch, ask the service, words, of affirmation. All of us respond to probably one of those more than all. We may respond to all of them because frankly, mine is words of affirmation, but I love getting gifts. I mean, that's, that's great, but that's not the primary thing for me. Words of affirmation are. Well, before I even knew anything about love languages and affirmation and all that stuff, I was in seventh grade playing basketball, running down to court. I stole the ball, stole the ball, and went the length of the floor and scored a layup. And as I turn around and I'm running back to the other side, I happen to glance over at my coach. And my coach is giving me a high five in the air. You know, just this. And I'm going, this is the greatest thing ever. Because he affirmed what I did. Something about affirmation. It, it softens our hearts. It prepares us for things that, that very, very few other things will ever do. 
There's nothing like being affirmed. And, and the truth of the matter is we live in a society that doesn't affirm us very much. Most of the time it's extraordinarily critical of us. And you say, well, how is Jude affirming anybody? Well, he's really doing this. He's really speaking He's really speaking for God. He wants his hearers to hear, and I want you to hear this morning that you in this room and anybody that may be watching online, you are affirmed by God, and you need to be reminded of what God thinks about you. Because I'm going to tell you, the adversary of your soul is going to do all kinds of things to tell you you are not worth anything. At any time, and he will reinforce that again and again and again. And I will guarantee you that voice is louder than the voice of affirmation. But today I'm gonna turn, I'm gonna turn the tables, and we are gonna get loud and boisterous about the affirmation that God has over your life. You need to hear it. Somebody in this room needs to hear it. You need to be affirmed. You need to know what God believes about you. The first part that Jude says. You're called. You say, wait, 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 wait a minute. I am not going to be a pastor, a, a preacher. That's not what I'm talking about. If that happens, greatest life ever. Okay, let me just tell you, it's greatest life ever. That happens. That's not what Jude's saying. You're called. Can I tell you what he means? God has reached out to you and me and brought us helpless as we are into relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his son. Praise God. We are chosen. We are special. We are the elect. We are the people of God because of what Jesus Christ has done through God's plan. You are called of God. You are set apart. You are set aside. You are the elect. You are the people of God. I'm telling you something. You need to hear that today. Because I'm telling you, no one else is going to tell you that. Only, only God is going to tell you the value that you have to him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, We are always thankful, Paul says, that God chose you to be among the first to experience salvation. A salvation that came through the Spirit who makes you holy through your belief in the truth. He called you to salvation. When we told you about the good news, now you can share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are called. You are the elect. You are the chosen. You are the people of God. Be affirmed in that. Jude is affirming his readers that they're called of God. They're called of God. They're special. They're set apart. By extension, we are as well. The second thing that Jude says, you are loved. You're loved. I want to tell you something. God loves you. You say, Gary, I have heard that my whole life. Well, you need to hear it one more time. God loves you. I'm going to say it again until everybody in this room says something. I don't care if you grunt at me or whatever. God loves you. God loves you. Boy, I'm telling you, there are times when I walk through the struggles of life, I walk through the struggles of faith, and I feel like, Nobody really cares. I know this dear lady loves me. I know that. But there are times I feel like I'm absolutely alone. That God doesn't love me. God's forgotten about me. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Do not believe the voices that constantly yell and scream of how unloved you are by God. God doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about your situation. He doesn't care where you are. He pays no attention to you. That is absolutely the untruth of untruths. Hear me. 
hear me, you are loved. You are embraced by God. A few days ago, I was at my son's house, and uh, <laughs> and we we have seven grandchildren. We love we love them all desperately. They're just terrific. You know, this whole grand thing, this whole grandparent thing, is just like the best thing in the world. I mean, it's just great. And Micah and Hannah are, are Aaron and Lauren's two girls. And we were at the house. We were I don't remember what we were, we were dropping something off or whatever. And so Hannah, she's standing on their stairs, about three stairs up. So she's standing about right here to me. She's the little one. So I grabbed her, grabbed her really tight, and I spun her around about four times to her giggles and her laugh and smiles. And smiles without any teeth make it even better. You know, it's just, it was so good. And I put her down, and I said, you know something, Hannah? You've got to stop growing because one of these days I'm not going to be able to do this. You know something? That may be true on the physical side, but God will never stop embracing you. Ever. Ever. I'm so grateful for that today, that God loves me. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve his patience with me. His care, his concern over my life, I don't deserve any of that. But God loves me. But hear me, God loves you. God loves you. What an affirmation. Listen, listen to how Eugene Peterson takes Romans chapter 8. So what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst of sins listed in Scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Jesus loves you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're loved by God. You are called by God and you are loved by God. I'll tell you something. I hear that from somebody like Jude. Whatever else you got to say, I'm ready to go because I've been affirmed by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm good to go. I can do this. I can deal with the struggles. And when they're all said and done, it's all worth it. Because I'm, and you, we're called, and we're loved. And the third thing, he says, you're kept. I wonder if you have a security system at home, like Simply Safe or ADT or Brinks or whatever it is. We've got one. I, I'm not, I, think it does, I think it does a good thing. I, I hope. I probably set it off more than anybody else sets it off. You know, I'm messing something up. Can't get the code right or whatever. 
I'm messing it up. But it, it provides for us an element of security, doesn't it? And I, I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. But Jude says, you're kept by Jesus. You're kept by Jesus. There's a lot of things that are bringing insecurity into our life right now. Just go to Costco. You'll see it. Or you won't see it because everything's gone. Honestly, it's a little odd to me. I don't know how else to say it. I, should, I believe that we need to be careful and prudent. But we need to be careful and prudent 365 days a year. Not because of something that's happening right now. We just need to be careful and prudent. That's, that's wise. However, there's a lot of things that can bring in security. But I want you to know something. You're secure in Jesus Christ right now and for eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm grateful for that. First Peter chapter 1, God's power protects you through your faith until salvation is shown to you at the end of time. What's he saying? You are secure now and forever. John 5, 18, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning for God's Son holds them securely. The evil one cannot touch them. Cannot touch them. Jude says it very carefully. You're kept by God. I love that. But you see, that's not a passive response. We're to keep ourselves, too. We're to remain active. In fact, he would say a little later on, Jude 21, keep yourselves in God's love. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, control yourselves. Be careful. The devil, your enemy, goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat. Refuse to give in to him by standing strong in your faith. We need to keep ourselves. We're going to be kept by God, but keep ourselves. So, remember, you are called... Come on, you are called, you are loved, and you are kept. You're affirmed this morning. Grateful for that. And lastly this morning, Jude gives us a life-giving prayer. A life-giving prayer. The third triad, or the series of threes, in the opening portion of Jude, these are three familiar words. And it's not uncommon for different words to be used, but these are very common to us. But he adds some force to the words. Because what he says, he says, you ready? He says, mercy, peace, and love, ready? In abundance. There's, there it is, in abundance. When you take that word down to its, some other definitions, you ready? It's multiplied. So his prayer is this. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I want you to have this in increasing measure. In fact, I want this to just overwhelm you. I'm telling you, I, I can get behind that. And I'm ready for whatever struggle is going to come my way. Why? Because I have been brought into a place of understanding humility. That the one who is speaking life to me is coming from a perspective of wanting my best. And then he says, just remember how God is affirming your life. You're called. You are loved. And you are kept. And now we're going to multiply some. I'm going to tell you what God's going to do in your life. This is my prayer for you, that these things are multiplied into your life. These aren't just experienced once and just you add to a little bit. No, these are multiplied. They're ever increasing. In fact, you can't get enough of what God is going to provide for you. Wow, I can do that. That means the struggle. I got enough to make it through whatever I may face. Mercy. This is both mercy now as they face the danger of spiritual slippage, but it's also mercy on the day of judgment. 
Can I ask you a question? You want God's mercy or you want God's justice in your life? Let me answer it for you. I want mercy. Because justice, Jesus took care of that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we receive mercy because of what Jesus did. Wow. Titus 3, he saved us because of his mercy, not because of any good things we've done. What a prayer that mercy would be multiplied. Second thing is peace. Peace. I'm sure Jude's readers had anxieties. A lot going on. There's false teachers that are creeping into the church. The doctrines are messed up. You know something? There was an empire that didn't take kindly to Christianity. There were all kinds of difficulties they were experiencing. Now, we're experiencing the COVID-19. Okay? The anxiety across this world is absolutely unparalleled. I can't remember it even the last time we had something like this happen. It wasn't quite like this. It's just, and many of us with a, a people of faith, we're anxious too. I understand, but understand this. God gives us peace. And Jude is praying for peace to be multiplied to you. So parents, it's time that you begin to pray peace over your children and you do not let them be affected or infected with anything that causes them anxiety or worry. You are to pray the peace of God that it would be multiplied again and again and again and it would guard their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus and they would not walk out of that door anxious whatsoever because they are ready, they are called they are loved and they are kept and the peace of God will surround them and care for them. You still take care, but you commit them to the Lord. God's got this. One more time, God's got this. He's not unaware of what's happening. John 14, the peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My perfect peace I give to you. I use the Amplified, it's just powerful. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength at every challenge. Praise God. What a prayer. Peace to be multiplied. And lastly, love. Love. You hear this often. and it's, we, We've already talked about the love of God for us, but now Jude is praying this, that love would be multiplied to you. Man, I need that. Multiplied, And it's expressed in what Jude is saying in verse number 24 that, that he is going to present us before the glorious presence of God. That is a, that's a love statement. God's love is that which will guide us to our ultimate destination, which is to be in his presence always. 